Hi, everybody. Welcome to the March 24th, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. I've always said, and I will hold this to my, uh, my last breath, the five minutes before the show gets started around here is always the most interesting. I'm just so sorry that we can't share it with you. Our, we don't have a big no, legal not. team to handle it. <laughs> but let's get started. Let's get a quick take on Colorado Senate President Pro Tem Jerry Sonnenberg announcing this week that he plans to introduce a bill that would restructure the hospital provider fee with the intention of supporting rural hospitals and rural projects. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, we've been teased about hospital provider fees before. Uh, usually Republicans have been against it. Were you surprised to see this come from really the number two guy in the Senate? Surprised and pleased because maybe this has a shot at at going somewhere. And we certainly need some some uh, work done on with the budget in a $400 million shortfall that's going to hit hospitals hard. We already are complaining about roads. An option like this is at least worth discussing. Amy Oliver Cook from the Independence Institute joins us. The hospital provider fee and its reclassification has seemed to be a third rail for Republicans in Colorado. Were you surprised to see Sonnenberg go there? And is the secret sauce, I guess, for this one because he mentioned rural hospitals? Yeah, dangle rural in front of Republicans, and it's like it's like the carrot, or it's like a dog whistle in some ways. Um, no, I, I don't think, and I'm the, I'm the worst prognosticator, so take it for what it's worth. But You're in good company. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Market off is I'll probably be, be wrong in this case, but I really don't think this is is going to is going to be the secret sauce or the thing that that fixes it. Listen, if they really want to help rural hospitals, two things: one, they can change the formula. Right now, I think it's uh, there's a Weiss Broad Memorial Hospital in Eads is expected to get 25 times more than it actually pays in. If it needs more, they can restructure the formula inside of the hospital provider fee. So number one, number one. Number two, why don't we try some transparency in the hospital provider fee so finally everybody will know exactly what we're talking about. Eric Sonnen, political analyst, joins us. Uh, I'm wondering if this particular uh, proposal is looking to solve transportation, which is kind of a bipartisan issue. Everybody wants to fix the roads, but it ends up kind of skewering, <coughs> at least on the Republican side of the aisle, uh, sacred cow being the hospital provider fee. What do you think? Not sure what all of its side effects are. I, I found it an interesting development in that this issue has been stuck for so long and so rigidly partisan. So you had somebody break with partisanship. You have multiple divides at the Capitol. We all focus on the red-blue divide, uh, Republicans, Democrats. But there's also a rural-urban divide, and I think that was the key divide uh, here. Now, just because, I mean, it's an 1817 Senate, so theoretically if one Republican flips that flips the body, not necessarily, because the president of the Senate can still control what committee it goes to. So if, if he wants it dead, he probably still has leverage to, to kill it. But it's an interesting development, and um, 
something has to give. I don't know, you know, Amy finished her comments by saying if people understood the hospital provider fee. That's the trick. No one understands it, and I would hazard a bet. I know it includes myself. I would hazard a bet it includes the rest of us. It is so complex, but it is one of many pieces of this budgetary stalemate. Susan Green, editor at ColoradoIndependent.com. Uh, your team, I think it was Marianne Goodland, had a great piece about this. What's the developments? What do we know so far? Uh, we know that this is probably the biggest uh, story of the session. Um, Republicans have, on ideological grounds, uh, opposed the reclassification of this fee. It's not actually that despite the fact that the hospital provider fee, just those three words are so boring that you want to just go to sleep when you hear them. It's not that complicated. It's just freeing up money from taxpayer bill of rights restrictions. And in the face of these massive budget cuts and massive, you know, potentially whatever's happening with the Trump health care plan and a shortfall in the state and the possibility of a sales tax to pay for roads, that ideology sort of seemed to be melted, at least with Jerry Sonnenberg, and potentially with at least a couple of his colleagues, which could completely change the game. Should be interesting. In an editorial for the Denver Post, Ken Salazar announced this week that he will not run for governor next year. His announcement triggered many others to discuss their intentions to run, including Representatives Ed Perlmutter and Jared Polis, and former state treasurer Kerry Kennedy. Patty, the potential primaries are never as juicy as they are right now. If we would never be so lucky to see Perlmutter, Polis, and Kennedy all in a Democratic bloodbath as a primary. But when we do get to next year's Democratic primary for governor, who do you think of those names are still around? Well, let's not forget Mike Johnston, who was smart enough to throw his hat in the ring first. I think we'll see at least three top-level Democrats probably doing it because if you wait your turn, you may never become governor, which is kind of what happened with Ken Salazar, who had always wanted to be governor and just, I think, realized the time was gone. Interesting that he announced this in an essay in the Denver Post, which kind of shows what generation he belonged to. Other people would tweet it or have it on social media saying, this is my decision now. He used old-form journalism to do it. And he would have, I think, been a great governor, would have been a better governor maybe 10, 20 years ago, too. But he's done a life of public service and done a really great job for Colorado in most cases. We are going to have an embarrassment of riches going on. If Perlmutter, Polis, imagine those guys debating. Kerry Kennedy will be interesting. What Mike Johnston brings to the table with education knowledge is going to be important. And then the Republicans with George Brockler as a fair-haired boy. We're going to see many, many more people jump in before we're done. Well, Amy, let's get into the Republican side of things. I, while Salazar had some questions, especially with his affiliation with uh, Hillary Clinton, he was still going to be a very formidable challenger, whether it was a Democratic primary or as a general election a nominee from the Democratic side. Now that he's not going to be the nominee, Republicans might have a bigger chance. Do you think their chances have improved now that Salazar is officially out? Well, God. Never underestimate what uh, any party can do to themselves. I mean, <laughs> we are, this is so far away. Anything could happen. But, you know, I don't know that, um, that Salazar was the big challenge. I personally think Mike Johnston is a, I mean, he is somebody that is appealing across uh, party lines. He is, um, he's, got, he's got the look. He's got um, he, school choice advocate. So he, he appeals to that sort of swing voter. I think he would be a much more formidable candidate than, than uh, Ken Salazar would have been. But 
what will be what will be interesting is how it you know falls out with Republicans. You mentioned George Brockler. There's Walker Stapleton. People are also talking about, you know, Cynthia Kaufman, who that will be. But this might be the first time in a long time where the, the Democrat primary is, is more of a bloodbath, as you said, and that the list of, re, of Democrats not running is the shorter list. <laughs> Eric, I think you had a pretty good insight with this a couple months ago when you actually, I had the assumption that Salazar was a shoo-in to run and probably the front runner. You said, you know, wait a second, maybe he's actually not necessarily the front runner, maybe not even going to run. So uh, you had great prognostication skills on this one. As you look forward, you see Perlmutter, you see Polis, you see Kennedy. That's a lot of big names, including Mike Johnson, who's, who's no slouch. There's still a couple more people in there that are trying to pull up some of the fundraising. Who sees that field and says, okay, I'm, I'm going to wait for a better time? It was easy to prognosticate, or easier to prognosticate maybe that it wasn't a slam dunk than to tell you who it is going to be. These are going to be two wild primaries. Patty picked a number of three as three formidable candidates ultimately getting to the starting gate. Uh, I think that number, if anything, is on the low side. It's certainly not on the high side. It could be more than three. If you go through the convention process, you can only carve that pie so many ways. But the convention process is so archaic now, I assume many of these candidates will just petition onto the ballot. I think both parties are going to have wild, multi-candidate races. I agree with Amy that there's every chance the Democrat, Democratic race could be as ugly, if not uglier, than the Republican race. They all will say the right things now about keeping it very civil. but. When ambitions, when, when the race gets hot and ambitions are on the line, uh, things tend to change. There's one name we're not talking about. I don't know if he'll get traction or not, but a, a businessman, philanthropist in town, Noel Ginsburg, I would, you know, we'll see if he gets traction, but I wouldn't write off that possibility that he could emerge as a real candidate, whether or not he emerges as the Democratic nominee. You have Victor Mitchell on the Republican side, uh, self-funder. You have Kent Theory. I'm not sure if he wants to run as a Republican or as an independent, get a DeVita CEO, obvious self-funder here. <clears throat> Wild times. My surmise, Dominic, is... Uh, that whoever wins the Democratic primary, a wild Democratic primary, will be the favorite for the election. Not a prohibitive favorite, but I, this is a state that leans slightly Democratic in a year that I think or prognosticate will lean heavily Democratic just based on who's in the White House in an off-year election. So both nominations are worth having. The Democratic nomination is particularly worth having. I can't tell you who's going to get there. Susan, Democrats, uh, at least lately, have been far better at avoiding really bloody primaries. Uh, I recalled with a producer earlier, it's a, a few years back, but it includes Ken Salazar, when the whole opening uh, to run for Senate, it started with Mark Udall with the shortest Senate campaign with two days, and then, nope, actually it's going to be Ken Salazar, and what could have been a bruising primary went away. I don't know if they'll have that uh, ability this time, not only at the governor's race, but if Perlmutter jumps in, there's going to be a lot of Democrats looking for CD7. Again, and what uh, Eric talks about could be a potential good year for Democrats for Congress. And then if Polis jumps in, you have that same thing happening in Boulder. So as you look at what we can expect right now, what do you think? I think what we can expect, at least among Democrats, is a real appetite for, I, I'm not sure I would call it a bloodbath, I would call it a healthy primary and a healthy conversation about where the party is headed. We can see in the par primary, in the Democratic Party this week, 
they're still undecided, I think, about their second vice chair. I mean, these, these folks are having a lot of sort of consternation internally about who should be leading the party and should they come from the Hillary camp or, or the Bernie camp. It was interesting when Patty said um, about Brockler, you know, he's the fair-haired boy, you know. The fair-haired boy might work well in, in the Republican Party, but the Democratic Party isn't interested in the fair-haired boy this upcoming cycle. And, you know, your comment, Amy, about Johnston, I'm not sure that because Johnston has the look, that's going to really go over so well in Colorado, especially given that we were such a pro-Bernie state and Bernie was anything but a fair-haired boy. So I think what people want is a healthy, robust conversation about, you know, this sort of old-school uh, Democratic Leadership Council, Clintonite sort of third-way democratic politics and something a little bit more progressive and I think they all see that that time is very ripe like like Eric said because this year is going to be well 2018 is going to be toxic for Republicans. U.S. Senators Cory Gardner and Michael Bennett formally introduced Colorado's own Neil Gorsuch at his Senate confirmation hearings this week. Senator Bennett has yet to say how he will vote, but he did say in his introduction that two wrongs do not make a right, citing the lack of hearings for Obama nominee Merrick Garland. Meanwhile, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer announced on Thursday that he will vote no and lead a filibuster effort. Amy, how do you think Republicans will respond to the threat of a filibuster? I don't think they'll care. Seriously, I mean, I, the genie's out of the bottle. And that was Harry Reid unleashing it with uh, the circuit courts. And, and you know what? In Court of Appeals, this, they will, I, I think there will be a period of, will allow you to filibuster for a little bit, and then we're just going to go ahead. I, and go ahead, meaning I, yeah, go ahead with the, the vote. They're going to do that. They'll, they'll go the the nuclear option, which has already been done. The precedent was sent, was 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 that was set, and by Harry Reid, and now they're they're going to continue it. Um, the one thing, though, that I would say on this, Bennett is right that two wrongs don't make a right. I I would also say there is no such thing as a permanent political victory. Everybody at the time thinks that they, you know, oh, we're going to, you know, Harry Reid, we're going to do the nuclear option and it won't ever come back to bite us because we're, we're, everybody loves us at this moment. There's no such thing as a permanent political victory. So go into it with your eyes wide open. Eric, it seems that Bennett is in somewhat of a pickle because you have a... a Gorsuch coming from Colorado, not necessarily you know, winning any new friends with the confirmation hearings, but no major uh, 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 spoilers came out that's, that would have doomed his nomination. And you have the Senate minority leader saying there's going to be a filibuster, but didn't necessarily demand that here's all the Democrats coming with him. So you can't, the, the Schumer seemed to have left some wiggle room for him. Bennett usually keeps his moves close to the vest and at the last minute will, will play the smart move. Where do you think he goes? I don't know where he goes. I think he's accentuated the pickle he's in by maybe waiting too long. Uh, the Denver Post ran a very strong editorial this morning on Michael Bennett, on his predicament. And we've all known that Bennett was on the hot seat here. That was my you know, first comment on the night of Trump's nomination of Gorsuch was, watch what Michael Bennett does. I think Michael Bennett would have been better served to either pick one course or the other, but to pick it before now. You're right, Dominic. Bennett's the kind of guy who likes to play it close to the chest, likes to wait until late. 
but sometimes if you wait until late, you wait until it's meaningless. This is an opportunity for Bennett to lead. He is very much cross-pressured here. Democrats are aggrieved. Democrats are enraged, both about the outcome of an election that they never saw forthcoming and about the treatment of, of their nominee, of Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland. So there's, the base is upset, and the base will tolerate no compromise. On the other hand, he represents Colorado, and this is a Colorado boy. We've only had one Coloradan in history serve on the Supreme Court. This would be number two. He more than acquitted himself decently during the hearings. Yeah, you know, the, it is hard to find flaws in his credentials. This is all politics. It's not about Neil Gorsuch. And then, then again, it was all politics, and it wasn't about um, Merrick Garland. I don't know how Bennett goes, but it's time to get off the fence. It's, you know, you're paid as a U.S. senator to make a decision. Make a decision. Yes, we know you're cross-pressured. Fortunately for Michael Bennett, he was just reelected. He doesn't have to worry about it for another five and a half years. So that gives him some freedom. I personally think he ought to use that latitude probably to talk caution to an enraged Democratic base and represent his home state and, and represent a fine and decent Coloradan. But we'll see if he does that. Susan, Michael Bennett has a variety of cons constituencies here to look at, whether it's fellow Democrats in the Senate, uh, Coloradans as a whole, as a state, or pride in having a Coloradan again beyond Byron White being on the Supreme Court, and then his base here in Colorado among Democrats who may not want anything to do with approving any uh, nominee coming from the Trump administration. Where do you think his ear will go? Well, I, w I want to add one more set of constituents um, to that or constituencies, which is Michael Bennett has ties with Phil Anschutz. Um, he used Very to work for Phil Anschutz, and um, Gorsuch is very heavily tied with Phil Anschutz. So that's a whole set of pressures in and of themselves. I think, I think he has signaled where he's going. I agree with Eric that he's waited pretty, pretty much too long at this point, but he sent a strong signal when he said two wrongs don't make a right, like Amy said. And I think that just um, is, a, is a sort of precursor for where he's going here. That said, I think what's getting discounted in all this conversation, I mean, it's always framed as a sort of tit for tat, right? Two wrongs don't make a right, tit for tat on the part of the Democrats. You know, the argument for not giving Garland the hearing under Obama was that Obama a year ago was a lame duck. Um, there's a legitimate argument, argument to be made, albeit a political one, uh, that we've got an administration under investigation for what comes very close to treason. And so, you know, being several months, just having months left of your administration versus being under investigation for treason, you know, I'm not sure that there's more of a mandate to get, to have uh, Trump fill this vacancy than there was for, for Obama. And in some ways, even though I agree with Amy that the Republicans won't, won't hesitate about using the nuclear option, um, there is a good argument to be made about just waiting. Patty, this is not Michael Bennett's first trip to being in a political pickle. This has been with other votes, other, other health care votes, other issues in the Senate. Where, from all the different angles that we've seen from this one, where do you think he goes? Well, I think he's going to represent the constituency of grown-ups who are rarely mentioned in Washington, <laughs> D.C. these days. You know, it is time to move along. Unless... Trump is impeached and thrown out of office, which is not going to happen quickly. We're going to need to have a functioning Supreme Court. Bennett said he wanted to wait and see how Gorsuch did during his hearings. 
I think Gorsuch did about as well as we could possibly expect. He's got great credentials. He mentioned mutton busting. I mean, how can you not love that? He acquitted himself very well. There, the uh, He got the surprise on the autism decision. We're going to be talking about it a little later. But he looks like he would be a grown-up on the Supreme Court. It's time to at least move on with some of that. And I think Bennett will. The American health care bill presented by House Republicans as the repeal and replacement of Obamacare is in a holding pattern at the time of this taping. We tape 12:15 every Friday, so we think the vote is scheduled to happen later this afternoon. Assuming it does go for a vote in the House today, as expected, we know Representative Mike Kaufman has said he is a yes vote, and at time of this taping, Ken Buck was still unsure which way he would go. Eric, again, by the time this is broadcast at 8 o'clock, we're going to know that the vote didn't happen because they're just going to save their, as you say, save their power, fight another day, or they went for the vote and it failed. Do you think the votes that Mike Kaufman we know is going to vote yes, is he or Ken Buck's vote going to matter as they face re-election in two years? Ken Buck's vote doesn't matter because he's sitting on a safe seat. I'm increasingly thinking Mike Kaufman sits on a safe seat. I think how these votes matter is not in their terms of their individual congressional seats, but just in terms of the tenor of the whole year. Are the Republicans competitive in 2018, or is it such a shambles in Washington that you have another change election after a series of change elections, which is, you know, throw one set of bums out and now throw the next set, the set of bums out. Uh, I ascribe to Senator Tom Cotton, conservative Republican from Arkansas, just elected to the Senate, former uh, congressperson. He issued a couple weeks ago a warning to all his former colleagues among House Republicans saying, you're going to stick your neck out here. You're going to jeopardize your political career voting for a bill that has no chance of getting through the Senate. So part of me wonders why Republicans are walking this plank. Whatever happens or doesn't happen this afternoon between the taping and the airing of this show is not the final word. It's only an early word. That is not what this legislation is going to look like. Lastly, I would just say, Dominic, I increasingly attracted to the point of view that we're asking the wrong questions about health insurance. We ought to be treating health insurance as insurance as opposed to full health coverage. We all have car insurance. You don't expect your car insurance to pay for when you fill up the gas tank or change the wipers, need a new set of tires. But yet we are increasingly into that mode with that health insurance has to cover everybody for everything. That is unsustainable in this country. We're seeing what it's doing to our deficits. Neither party is willing to face that task. I think it's an extremely good point there, Eric, but the only problem there is that uh, people can choose not to drive. So, but I get your point. Susan, we're running out of time, but as you look at from what we know so far, again, we don't know how it's going to roll. What do you think is going to move forward from this issue? Uh, I predict that we're all going to be waiting through the weekend, despite Trump's uh, call for expediency here. I think it's fascinating what's happening to Kaufman. I understand why people think that's not such a competitive district, because he, pe he beat two very tough opponents. But... That was still a district that went 9% for Clinton, and it's a district that has said to him loud and clear, we don't want repeal here. It's a district that has big hospitals. It's a district that has rural hospitals. And so I, almost in, in some ways, like Eric said, I just don't, don't see how this is a winning proposition for him. Patty, we're running out of time. Your thoughts? Well, it looks like a winning proposition for no one right now, uh, especially Paul Ryan. If Trump insists it goes to a vote, he loses... Uh, I would hope they just all put the brakes on and revisit this bill because it is a loser for everyone. Amy, wrap it up for us. 
Uh, I think Ken Buck is going to look at what happened with Congresswoman Betsy Markey, who, by the way, was 206, vote number 216, got it passed. The Obamacare is wildly unpopular in CD4. I suspect this bill is also wildly unpopular in CD4. Well, let's get to one of the more popular parts of our program, the Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. Well, I like the fact that we have some history on problems with our own political parties, and we saw evidence again when former Republican State Party Chair Steve Curtis just got accused of voters' fraud. You would think former party chairs know how to turn in their ballots. Amy. Colorado State Legislature is going to continue to be my disgrace of, of the week until they stop sending ratepayer dollars up to Excel and pennies down to ratepayers in the form of taxpayer dollars. Eric. Rico Munn, the superintendent at Aurora, is a good guy. I like Rico personally. But sometimes he reacts too heatedly. And he did so this week in response to a report put out by A-plus Colorado, an advocacy organization that is, again, critical of the lack of progress in Aurora schools. Uh, you don't shoot the messenger. You deal with the problem. I think calmer heads should prevail here. A kudos to the A-plus report. Susan. State Rep. Phil Covarrubias, who in testifying against the uh, Ralph Carr Freedom Defense Act this week, seemed to support uh, Japanese internment camps by saying uh, there's no time to ask questions and find out who's a citizen and who's not. That's an embarrassment for our state. Those are the seats of the nice about somebody. Patty? Well, there's a lot to celebrate about our state, too. We are finishing our 34th annual Best of Denver issue, and all it reminds you of is how many great things there are in this town. Amy. Longtime Greeley resident uh, Charlie Archibald, probably the longest-serving public servant, and he was a man who represented North and East Greeley, which was a Hispanic community. He built bridges rather than burned them down. He will be missed. He died Thursday. Eric. It's easy to be critical of the Colorado legislature. All of us often are. <laughs> Patty, I mean, Amy makes it her permanent disgrace. <laughs> um, they did pass a bill by overwhelming vote this week um, to endorse and guarantee free speech on college campuses and at least some modified pushback on the craziness we're seeing. Freshman Representative Jeff Bridges in the House, a Democrat, was the sponsor of it, along with two Republicans, and kudos to that bipartisan coalition. Susan. Colorado news consumers who are increasingly embracing independent media, which is more needed now than ever. Here we are. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. I want to thank all of you who participated in our recent spring pledge drive. Your support is key to making shows like this one possible. We do not take lightly our responsibility to you to provide high-quality programming for the entire state of Colorado. Nor do we take lightly the magnitude of support you and the entire Colorado community show us by making this possible. Thank you for helping us serve Colorado now for over 37 years. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Thank you.